Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast the show that offers an informal sideways look at everything to do with Fulham Football Club. My name is Sammy James. Joining me on the podcast this week, I've got Farrell Monk, Ben Jarman and Jack Collins. How are we all doing? Very, Very well, thank you. you. Dabby doozy. Sorry, what? <laughs> re-record the intro. start. <laughs> We're trying to, like, maintain this reputation as a podcast, and the first words you say are fan-dabby-doozy. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, so it's been a frustrating week for Fulham against two newly relegated sides from the Premier League. Actually, a decent result at the Cottage against Norwich on Tuesday. 2-0 down at half-time. We came back with a spirited performance to draw 2 all, and then a trip up to the Midlands to play at Aston Villa. And it was the end of our unbeaten away run. It now means there's only one win in 10 in all competitions for Slavisa Jukanovic. It's been a very happy hunting ground for many teams. Uh, a trip to Villa Park, plenty of points and plenty of goals. Unfortunately, neither of those were in store for Fulham as Jonathan Codger's goal was the difference and we fell to a 1-0 defeat. Let's have a look, uh, first of all, at Saturday's game. It was a very limp performance, uh, only four shots on goal and none on target. Do you consider this to be a bit of a blip, Jack? Or is there something a bit more concerning about Saturday's performance long term? I think that we were limp. Is a, limp is a good word, actually, something to, to describe Saturday. But I'm going to put it back to the point that I don't think you can have a fulcrum of McDonald and Parker, which doesn't offer a creative you know, outlet in that and allow us to spread. And I thought Scotty Parker was brilliant again and... You know, shouts out to Scotty Parker. But apart from that, I just don't think that midfield fulcrum provides enough dynamism to push us forward and push us into a creative and, and, and developing side. And actually, I've been reading some reports today about the film game and quite a lot of people were not complimentary, but reasonably acute in their descriptions of us saying that we didn't play badly and that we defended well and we kept possession well and all of these things. But it comes down to the fact that we made a stupid error and it didn't look like either team were going to score unless it was a wonder goal or an error. And I think that that's what it comes down to. If we're going to play like that, we can't then make defensive errors. If we're going to go there and play for a little draw, which is fine, going away to Villa, who are newly relegated and haven't lost at home this season, isn't the worst idea in the world, but then you can't be making stupid mistakes. So, you know. Do you think we did play for the nil-nil? Was that quite obvious? No, I don't think so. Um, it's interesting that Jack actually pointed out how you know people who probably went at that game uh, wouldn't actually recognise that we were actually really good in possession for a, a yeah, significant proportion of that game. And that is really good to see. However, there is no absolutely no link in between defence, our defensive midfielders and attack at all whatsoever. It was, it was really frustrating to see that we'd pass it around really, really confidently at the back and Villa couldn't get anywhere near us, but trying to get it forward, we couldn't because our front four were so far away from them, it was ridiculous. They spent most of the game holding hands with their defenders. No one wanted to come forward and pick it up. Piazzon and Aluko were way out of the game and it kind of meant that when we actually wanted to get the ball forward because one one of our full-backs or one of the defenders ran out of space, they would just have to lump it forward and... You know, a couple of times it, we did create an attack from it, but, you know, we had the ball for a lot of the time. We could have created a hell of a lot more if we could actually link link yeah. up there. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. The The length that the team um, is playing with each other is normally much closer than that, and I think we saw that link up at Norwich, especially between Johansson and, and Martin. They link up very, very well together, and we didn't see any of that from um, any of the, the attacking players or uh, four players from Fulham this weekend. It's um, got to be one hell of a pass to <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of space through there, there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly that. And there's a lot of there's a lot of space in between the lines. But I think like some credit has to go to Villa, obviously under a new manager. Um, it's a bad time to play them. Yeah, yeah, bad time to play them. Um, they're obviously getting some sort of a boost from having a manager that actually knows what he's doing on a day to day. It's sort of 
Di Matteo doesn't have, uh, for me, enough of an idea what to do defensively. He's sort of like an attack-minded coach, but then... How does um, he keep getting jobs? Good. Well, because he won the Champions League with Chelsea with someone else's <laughs> squad, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they, if you look back at the full 90 minutes, if you're subscribed to Fulham TV, which we may well be. Um, $2.99. $2.99. <laughs> um, um, it, it quite clearly shows that Villa are much more organised than some of the opposition that we've played against, um, which is obviously like a trademark of a Steve Bruce, t- Bruce team for me. Um, I think they're trying to save face a little bit. Um, their opening start to the season has been great at all, and this is, for them, a very credible credible result especially against our away form it, Steve Bruce has taken two weeks to do that mm. it, to get really well organised and be able to sort of start beating teams when you know we obviously had a really good start to August and then it's kind of fallen over but Slavica has been there now for you know nine months or so now uh, you'd expect him now to have a well-drilled team. I would agree with that but I think like the positive that we assume from Slavica is that we do have an identity uh, and it's a clear identity that we see week in, week out, whether that's, as Don mentioned last week, like the setup that we have away from home in that we have a clear identity to hold a possession of the ball. Um, we've had that since the word go, um, mm. which clearly shows that we're working on something on the training ground. And like Dom also rightly pointed out that we saw this weekend that we we do tend to expose ourselves out of possession and our fullbacks and keeper are exposed quite a lot. But is there much point having 66% possession if you do absolutely nothing with it. I think there's a point to be had on that exact note, which is that I read an article this weekend by Ollie Holt, who used to be the Mirror's chief football writer and now writes for the Mail on Sunday, that was about um, Guardiola's uh, losses and victories and failures and, and successes. And he said that he'd rather watch a thousand Guardiola failures where his teams try and get the ball down, play possession football and try and get through teams rather than closing out Mourinho style for a nil-nil draw and parking the bus. And he said he'd rather watch a thousand of those than, uh, than one, you know, dismal, you know, nicked it one nil at the end sort of English mentality victory. And I think he's got a point in that the game is changing. And I think that as teams become more, some teams become more expansive, others are going to have to close up, shore up and, and try and play in a different system. And I think that you always look to especially at Fulham, you know, where we have a, a history of playing good football under Tagana or under, you know, under Hodgson. We played good possession football and we kept the ball well. And I think that, I think that that's in our, in our mentality as a club, you know. Mm. I think that there's nothing to be sneered at there. Obviously, we need to do more with it. I don't think that anyone's suggesting by any means that, that Fulham aren't doing, are doing enough. It's not enough to, you know, to keep 66% and have no, have no shots on goal. But at the same time, I think you're building the foundations of something that, eventually could become, you know, something special. And yeah, it, I mean, from um, youth groups upwards, it's quite clear that we're trying to play some sort of possession football, yeah. we're trying to play out the back where possible. But I think to your point um, with regards to Guardiola and Oli Holt and the sort of admiration for possession football, if we look at the, the world as it is now, especially the footballing world, I've got some notes that yesterday Marseille played PSG they had 28% possession, no shots on target, no shots registered at all. Leicester won the league last year with just 43% average possession. Yeah. Rotherham this weekend had 22% possession against Reading and only lost in the last minute. It's a case now that I think that football's moving away from... that. You get teams that are more comfortable in possession like Fulham, but then you get teams that are absolutely happy to sit back and counter... And for me now, if you look at the way the Champions League is going, look at the way the Europa League is going, how the top top teams in the Premier League are now playing and the Championship, it's that counter is key now mm. and the counter is king and possession is no longer as desired as it was. And I'd rather watch a thousand Guardiola games, don't get me wrong. But for me, the harsh reality is that now Championship football and football in general is a counter-attacking game. It's and no surely someone like Steve Bruce would have looked at tapes of Fulham and go... Let them have the ball. Let them have it in their half. They can stay there as long as they want because they're not going to do anything with it. Don't um, try and like rush in and make them play. I sound like Farrell on the sidelines for his football team. <laughs> um, but he, and that's kind of what they did. Go on, have it in. Have it in your half. It's this fine. seems to be every game against Fulham over the past two or three years, and we, every team, do it against us. Every yeah. team, and. You know, it's become sort of like it's like an England kind of syndrome because our, our England team can definitely hold the ball really well. We've got something amazing footballers, but 
we've become kind of easy to play against because we do play that possession football so well, but it's just not incisive enough. Yeah, the, the incision is something that we do lack definitely. I 100% agree with that. Our transitions through the midfield are very slow. Correct. Whether that's just because of Parker and McDonald and not your boy Stefan Johansson. Like... Yeah, I like Johansson. I just like to see him maybe in the deeper role. And I know he was good against Norwich, but I don't think that... I think if well, if you have your hands pushed on, then you have to have someone like LVC in there who's going to link up those attack and defence because, you know, those players don't come short. Aluka yeah. and Piazon are never going to come short. See, I don't really what, want them to come short, to be this honest. This is what really changed uh, against Norwich. And it's, this was the kind of frustrating thing going from Norwich to Villa that Norwich, um, Jukanovic obviously recognised that we weren't getting the ball up to the front four as often and we were getting really exposed on the, on the wide that he actually pulled Aluko and Piazzon back. They both got involved in the game a lot more. Piazzon turned into a different player. His work rate went through the roof because all of a sudden he was actually involved in play a lot more and he was actually not only probably... He got, actually got the ball a lot more. He was actually winning tackles a lot more because he was actually where the play was as opposed to trying to be as close to Chris Martin. And it kind of... That made Johansson push forward a bit more yeah. and he was able to play it off Martin's so much easier. I mean, tactically, so much can be said for the the, the um, gap in between defence and the front four, five, as it is. As you say, Farrell, it's, it's much easier to play together as a cohesive unit if you're all within, say, 25, 30 yards of each other. And we see it with all the great teams, you know, Barca play rarely more than 35 yards apart and it's so difficult to get the front players involved if there's a huge gap in between yeah. Yeah. we saw that at Villa we we were limp like you say and against Norwich we brought them back and look how much yeah, we exactly and you know to actually play like a really good solid 40 yard pass along the ground <laughs> is a lot more difficult than it looks especially in even in champ- championship football mm. um, if you're actually if say you're a midfield player you've got to know that there is one person within 20 yards of you that you don't even have to think about mm. it rather than having to sort of take a touch, look up and, oh God, he's a million miles away. I'm going to have to turn around and play it back. Mm. And that's probably why we have had seen, you know, quite a few mistakes from Button because he's obviously a good footballer, but he gets the ball so much that when he does make a mistake, it's so much more, it gets so much more exposure than sort of a Parker making a bad pass or a Johansson making yeah, a bad 100%. pass. Let's move on to that goal because that was my next point and you've nicely brought it on to that. So it came from, a, it was a back pass from Maddle to Button. He took a very heavy first touch, uh, played it straight to Albert Adoma, who I remember tearing us apart uh, last season for Middlesbrough. I was quite happy when I saw, because um, he didn't start. No, he came off the bench. Yeah. And... Um, you know, Adoma's crossed it into Codger, and actually, Codger had a lot to do there. Um, and it's a great finish. Not sure about Sigurdsson's Sigurdsson. oh, defending. Yeah, that was he annoying. just put his, put his hands up and was worried about being kicked, I think. Yeah, I think, to be fair to him, he was trying to cover Button, but like you said, there's no there's no bravery in there. You go ahead first, won't you? He would if he was playing for Iceland. Yeah. Viking. <laughs> um, so it's poor from Button, but I think the keeper debate has been ravaging on from that, obviously. Mistake. You cannot deny Button made a mistake there. Correct. But also, Button did make two, three, maybe even four top-class really top saves during that game. And he also has proven himself to be a good shot stopper. But I think we've said it for weeks that he is an accident waiting to happen because yeah. he looks nervous in controlling the ball. But then again, he gets the ball as this kind of sweeper-keeper role much more than an ordinary keeper would. So can all the blame really lie at the feet, excuse the pun, of Button? Or, you know, is it actually the way that Slav plays in trying to use the keeper so much? Once in a while, they're going to make a mistake. I think it's coupled with this whole, the fact that we can't actually do that transition from defence midfield, which means Button gets the ball a hell of a lot more than he should do as any keeper, you know. We've been talking about that it was 66% possession at the weekend away from home, which is a hell of a lot against two two teams where you'd expect that it should be 50-50. Yeah. Um, but why why should the goalkeeper have as many touches in the game that he should do that aren't saves or picking the ball out of the net? Yeah. I mean, I would, you, yeah. <laughs> would, would you drop him for Bettinelli for Huddersfield? Would I drop him for Bettinelli? No, I don't... I, I, I like the idea of Benelli playing. I, I think the Button's a better keeper. I, I really do. I, I think he's a better shot stopper. I don't know if Benelli's distribution is is that much better. I, you know, especially out of feet, because 
you know, no, we don't know that because we've never played this style of football with with bets in goal. We've never played the ball that much. And I think Button has a better command of his area. I think he's a better shot stopper. This is like a Bravo Joe Hart conversation going really on. Really, there, there is a lot of similarities to it. We are just, just like Man City. Yeah, basically all. in disguise. Um, but and yeah, again, you saw John Stones defending on uh, Sunday. I've, I've definitely seen that a few, full of, <laughs> a few times down the years. What, what do you think, Ben? Um, I think for me that that goal that he conceded at the weekend is, com- from, in my opinion, completely his fault. If you're going to be a footballer and you have to be comfortable in your feet and that first touch is something that you probably see at FC Brentford from Farrell at the weekend. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think that that wasn't a great... Um, obviously example of how you should be a distribution uh, distributing keeper. Fulham traditionally have a really bad history with distribution from keepers. I remember Schwartz is not particularly good at kip, kip, kicking the ball out. The only one we've had in a very recent history that I can ever remember being good at distributing is Stick Allenberg. Mm. He was very good at his feet. But um, in answer to your question, I think I'd side with uh, Jack here. I think we'd probably, I, I would keep Button in. And also it can dent a keeper's confidence massively to just be dropped straight after one mistake. Malone-esque. Um, yeah, and and you're out. Um, Ross McCormack, uh, he, I think a lot of the pre-match talk was about him. He actually only came on as a substitute. He seems to be a bit out of favour at the moment at Villa. Their, their striking options are incredible, really. Uh, you consider the, the amount of firepower they have up front. I think, behind, I think behind Newcastle, you have to look at Villa as the, being the strongest squad in the league and the yeah. squad that's you know, directly underperforming. And I feel like we'll start to see that change now under Bruce. Although Norwich aren't too far behind. They, no, they've, got enough, well. they've, they've got enough players around to actually have Stephen Naismith on the bench. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he came, he came on, he got, he got a, a warm reaction from the fans. There was, a, there was a few boos. And that's justified because really, for two seasons, he put his heart on the line for Fulham. He scored so many goals and I think it's undoubted that we probably would be talking about League One fixtures um, oh, had it not been for Ross McCormack in the past couple of seasons. I think that Ross McCormack will eventually go down not quite as a necessarily as a Fulham great but as one of you know Fulham's best players and I think that you know if you actually look at the stats Ross McCormack's goal scoring record was better than Louis Sahar's at Fulham and his create chance creation was 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 also high is higher than Mal Bronx. I think was the was wow. the the stats I was looking at the other day. Article coming soon. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that Ross McCormack will ultimately and eventually go down as as a Fulham one of Fulham's best players. What's the championship though? I mean, it was, but so was Sars for the majority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the first set of goals were were all championship as well. So. I think that you know, there's a way you can say that he was playing against weaker opposition, but you can also say that he had a weaker team around him. Oh, definitely. And <laughs> so I think that there's, there's, you know, that swings yeah, around yeah, about yeah. a bit. But I think that he, he will, and I think that it's good that Ross got all reception and he came over to the fans afterwards yeah. and he clapped. And and I think that there's, there's no. I mean, I liked that he was in the club. I think it was the Newcastle game where he was in the club shop buying a, uh, a Fulham kit for, for one kids. of his kids. Yeah. So he's clearly got a, an affiliation with the club. He's just obviously got a desperate dream to play in the Premier League, one that's fading rapidly, surely now with Villa. I mean, they could pull it back under Steve Bruce. It'd be a hell of a run mm. for them to make it up. And I still, don't think, I still don't think they're fixed. I mean, they're doing better under Bruce, but I think it's not going to be they're going to win every game. Uh, from now on, you probably imagine that Ross is never going to quite realise that ambition to play in the Premier League unless he just signs for a, re- a newly promoted team and mm. probably is on the bench. He's certainly not going to be the star man. There is a part of me that would like to see Ross in the Premier League. Yeah, it, so would I. You know, yeah, I he's obviously done all these moves at the risk of upsetting a lot of people uh, to actually realise that dream of playing in the Premier League. I think he. He was quite candid in his interviews post post joining Villa, and he was like, "Look, I went to Fulham, and the, quite a lot of the experienced players left, and the, and then we lost. And then he was like, I always put my heart on the line. He was like, to be honest, I thought we were going to be challenging for promotion. We ended up fighting relegation. He's like, I, you know, I gave him my all every time we came on the pitch. He's like, when the move came in, uh, the off came in, you kind of said to me, if you want to go, please do it early so that we can rebuild our squad." And he said, I'd like to go and, and give it a crack. And, you know, he must be a guy that he didn't end up going to Norwich, to be honest. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't begrudge him that move. I think that that's, I think that's fair enough. And it wasn't, 
he said, look, I, I wanted to play in the Premier League. He's, he's always been quite honest about that. Mm. And we know. did very well financially, somehow making a profit mm. out of him for the amount of goals Big we Mike got. Big Mike Rigg coming in with the goods. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Norwich. Another striker was at the centre of, of debate in that one, which was Chris Martin. Finally, uh, maybe starting to see uh, what we have signed after what's really been a lacklustre start since his uh, loan move slash kind of permanent move. I don't really understand the technicalities there uh, from Derby. And a good point, uh, considering the circumstances, uh, 2-0 down at half-time to the league leaders. It was looking uh, fairly bleak. Uh, and they'd won six of their past seven, and that only one they didn't win, they were beating Newcastle at St. James's Park with the 90th minute gone, and then Newcastle pulled off an incredible comeback um, to win that 4-3. Uh Good to do, would be good to have a little bit of a chat about the penalties. Uh, the first one for me, both given away by Scott Malone, uh, looked fairly nailed on. It was a bit rash from yeah. Malone. That second one, though, seemed very dubious. I, I've watched it over a few times and I still cannot tell where the foul was and where the contact was made or, you know, he obviously, I don't know if... The Norwich player, who who who's the one that went down for Cameron it? Cameron Jerome. Cameron yeah, Jerome. He doesn't go down easily at all. Um, <laughs> he, I, I still failed to see where the contact was made. He might have tripped over his own feet. He might have tripped over Malone's feet. It was might have been a slight touch. But the fact that we can probably talk about this for a long, long time kind of shows that it probably definitely wasn't a penalty. It's just incredibly soft um, in terms of like giving that decision. Jerome's not a small guy by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, to go over um, that easily, when if you look at the trajectory of the ball as well, it looks like it's going over his head. Mm. So even if he is going to jump, it's some distance over his head. So you got if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of the referee, you have to think, is Jerome going to play the ball? Well, probably no, because it's too hard for him. And has there been any contact? Well, again, it's the answer is yes, but it's very minimal. Mm. So, like, had he had... the letter of the law should state no, it shouldn't be, because he's not going to be able to play the ball. Well, that's not how the law goes, <laughs> unfortunately. It no. comes foul the referee. <laughs> I mean... Little black book's coming out. <laughs> if uh, if he decides just to trip him up and the ball's, like, no, nowhere even close, then it's still, a, oh, okay. it's still a foul. Like, the same way that if the ball was one side of the pitch and defender punches striker in the face, it's a free kick all that way mm. over there. Well, fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's a soft penalty, a very soft penalty. I think that if it had been the other way round, we would have all been calling for it. Yeah. So there's that to consider. But no, I agree. On, on, on a, on a, You're calling us fickle. On a perfectly <laughs> neutral <laughs> note. Full of fans. Fickle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was a great comeback, though, in the second half. Uh, and as I mentioned, Chris Martin uh, had a particularly good game, a deserved man of the match, uh, I think, and no one can really deny that. We're starting to finally see what he can bring into this side. And uh, Ben, uh, apart from the fact that he didn't score against Villa, your, um, <laughs> your prediction slash your thesis that he would bring up a bit of a scoring streak seems to come true. Yeah, well, I... Think that that he will get rolling and that he's creating more chances now than he did beforehand. So that's obviously an encouraging sign. And one thing we know we notice about Martin when I looked at his record is that although the goals do come consistently, he also weighs in with a few assists as well, and obviously creates a fair amount of chances. Um, but I think like part of Martin's obviously breaking his Fulham duck and now getting a few more goals and assist making under his belt is probably down to the chemistry of the other people around him. And for me, um, what's particularly uh, clear is his um, chemistry he's got with uh, Johansson. Because if you look back at those Norwich um, highlights or the 90 minutes on, on Fulham, FC.com, you can see that consistently those two link. Um, Johansson brings it out of the midfield, Martin will either turn and spin and Johansson will play him in, um, as I think we saw for the second goal. Um, uh, or he'll come short and he'll blow it off to someone else. I think them two seem to have some sort of really good relationship in there, which adds to how good we are going forward. What um, was really good uh, for the second goal was Martin's movement. He completely mm. lost his marker and gave him the space to sort of pick it up, drive, have the shot, goal. Yeah, one thing I've got noticed down about him is that obviously you asked us in your um, pre-pod notes, is there's something about uh, Chris Martin, what do we think is so good about him? And it's just... 
his mobility versus someone like Matt Smith, who I don't know how or why anyone could justify Matt Smith being included in the site eleven. Just my opinion. Um, it, Completely it's, agree. It's, it's um, it, his mobility for a guy of his size and strength is actually very impressive. And I don't know if it's just me, but I find him that he's quite deceptively quick. Whether that's just because of his his movement allowing him to get into yeah, those gaps. I think it sure. might be a case of that. It's like that that second goal. I mean, it looked easy. It was like, oh, he's got so much space, it's poor defending. But it was actually, it was just great movement from mm. Chris Martin. And that's what a natural predator, a natural striker has in him. And clearly Chris Martin has got that in the locker. He's an intelligent footballer. And I think that that's something we've necessarily lacked up front as like a vocal point. Whereas, you know, obviously Ross was a, a, an intelligent footballer, but also sat back. I think they're just that pivot to have and be able to play it in and not worry about him, you know, heading the ball to an opponent, for example, or or trying to put the ball back towards a Fulham player instead of sort of assuming that people are going to flick off him is is something that we, we do. And I do see, when, when Smith comes on, one, we start to play horrible long ball football, but also I don't think I've ever seen Matt Smith head the ball to another Fulham player. Like, I really don't. He just, for a man who wins... A fair amount of his own headers, and maybe not as much as he should do, being six six and you know an absolute tank. But mm. he, he he really doesn't hit another Fulham player very often. I just think with because we've seen it a few times earlier on the season when we have tried to go long ball because we're behind and it goes up to Matt Smith, but we we just don't know how to play long ball no, football we don't. because it goes up to Matt Smith, he wins it, it goes into a good area, and there's no one within like thirty yards of him, and that is just. So simple, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know why we resort to it every time when we're losing. It's oh, let's just go long ball. We're not set up, we haven't got the players. We don't obviously, I doubt they even train how to play long ball. Right. Yet suddenly they think, <clears throat> oh, well, there's 10 minutes left. Let's just um, let's drop all plans and tactics that we had to break down this team and just just play away. We never play. But also, there's no, there's no point doing that unless, unless you're going to switch the like the formation and go something like 4 1 3 2 and leave another man up there to stay with him with the three still attacking behind him. There's no point having a point like Matt Smith because there's not going to be anyone there. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think we, we saw from Norwich that when we really get in the groove, like we did that second half, our play is very neat, it can be very cutting at times. And it's just when we're at our when we're at our absolute best, when you see that everything that Jukanovic is putting on the training ground is pulling off. Um, and it, against a squad like Norwich's as well, that's pretty impressive. I mean, they're like an in-betweener squad, aren't they, really? They're not good enough to stay in the Premiership, but but should win the Championship or, or be at least promoted. They're like a team of in-betweeners, aren't they? Um, you, Which one's Jay? Stephen Naismith. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry loves a special brew, can't you? Um, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, there was a uh, Derby Telegraph poll uh, 4,200 Derby fans got involved in this. 75% uh, said they would like uh, Chris to be recalled from loan. I'm not sure. If, I'm sure that's no, they not... Can't. They can't. No, is it. that can't, possible? No. no. I, th- I thought there was going to be a boring conversation about a telegraph poll. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, so clearly they want him back, although then you see Derby's form. Uh, I think they'd they take... They want anyone yeah, back. Yeah, literally <laughs> anyone that can help them. They lost to uh, Huddersfield in the final minutes on Saturday. And now our next opponents at the Cottage. It's going to be a very difficult game uh, against David Wagner's side. They've been the surprise package, uh, certainly maybe to the untrained eye. I think a lot of uh, people that really know Huddersfield and uh, pundits were actually expecting big things from them. But I think to... Maybe the, the the average pundit would have just thought, oh, Huddersfield, probably relegation. But they have really turned on the star this season. They seem to have this incredible team spirit, lots of you know late goals, and there seems to be this energy around Huddersfield. They've had a bit of a blip. They lost to Preston uh, a week uh, a week ago, but again, uh, they won against Derby in the final minutes at the John Smith Stadium on Saturday. They're going to be uh, a very, very tough side for Fulham to face. Uh, it'd be a decent scalp if we can manage to get um, anything from them on Saturday. And that sounds really depressing. They've got a good core of loanees. Mm. Uh, Casey Palmer off Chelsea, who, if everyone wasn't raving about Tammy Abraham, I think everyone would be raving about Casey Palmer. Mm. And Aaron Moy, Boy, yeah. who's yeah. somewhere, yes, yeah, somewhat of a, a revelation in the championship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if, uh, very, I know uh, a couple of the guys on Twitter that I follow are quite interested in Australian football and said that he's uh, absolutely incredible and if, if anything should in the next year or so may actually be starting for City 
which is quite impressive considering I think he's 24 or 25 now. Yeah. So He's a bit older than most of the old loanies mm. that, that go mm. out, but he seems to be finding his feet and, yeah, he looks, he looks a really good player. Yeah, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna have to be on our best, but it'd be nice to. We've got to get back to some sort of form because now the stats are starting to get a little concerning. One win in ten uh, is more than really just a blip. That is, yeah, pretty terrible form. We can't keep that up for the rest of the season. Yol was sacked for one in twelve. Let's put it that way. Jeez. Okay. Well, that's the visa. I think he's definitely starting to get a little bit of pressure. The heat must be on a bit, and I'm sure we won't do anything rash. But then again. <laughs> Who knows in who, the modern game? Who knows know at all? I don't know against we, modern football. Yeah, I don't know if we will do that because it we kind of got to the point where we were just like, okay, this manager hasn't won one in ten. Get rid of him. Oh, yeah. hasn't won one in ten. Get rid of him. And it's sort of like when you start to get rid of managers, it, it like I saw um, an article in United earlier about them just getting rid of managers and not thinking it's the players or the club. When you start to get rid of managers and players at the drop of a hat, it really becomes ingrained in the club that they're used to losing. They're used to change. I think if we support Jakanovic, we support his instructions, his implementation of an identity and a system, we can go places. We just need to let it bed in. Nothing yeah. clicks in a in a day or so. Alex Ferguson, when he left, he, he banged on so much about one of the key things that factored into his success was consistency and that they had Ferguson for a few years and bef- like to start off with and there were sort of questions about his future and they sort of kept him on and obviously... It went quite well for them after this. Sort of. Yeah, all right. Um, and when Moyes, when they got Moyes in, and like it didn't obviously go so well to start off with, and he kept saying, "Look, consistency, consistency," and all of a sudden they've, you know, through they, three managers. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, how could they go against what Ferguson had kind of said? They should, you know, take that man's word as gospel, really. And they've yeah. kind of gone against that. And now, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know. It's a case of if they're not going to listen, if Alex Ferguson and, and United have done that, then they've just become like any other team that do sack the manager at the drop of a hat, like Sunderland or Newcastle mm. or whatever. You know, and and if of... we did sack Ikanovic, we're very much in danger of becoming added to that list of teams. I think we that... are already. Yeah, do you think? I would, not, I would very much like it if we did not become like Sunderland. Yeah. Yeah, and we're yeah. not, as I say, I don't think we are far off already. I wasn't actually really suggesting that I think it's on the cards, but, you know, the form, sometimes you can't hide form after a while. After a while. And he, I think he's got a lot of lives, Slavisa, and I'm happy about that. But if it if it became one in 20, then sometimes, you know, the, yeah. the fat lady starts to sing and there's not a lot you can do about it, whether you have the support of the entire club or none of the club, like mm. the form starts to, to hey. take over. So, would, you, would you wait until... Say the form does go really badly, but would you wait until the end of the season unless it's like really dire situation? I would love. I would. I would certainly hope that uh, there's no more mid-season changes. I don't think it's good for anyone uh, in any situation, and I think we saw it no more plainer than Kit last season after mm. second Kit, which at the time I thought was the right decision. And then what was that? I stand that I, by that being the right decision. I definitely three. I, I, I don't. Do well. Not I not don't. maybe the right really? decision, but no. was the timing right? We were diabolical on the we kit. Were te- we were 10th at the time. We, we were I mean, we ended the, the season 19th. Well, we're two points worse off this season than we were this time last year under Kit, I believe. I'm yeah, I, think right. I, I certainly think... know we've got less points. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I stand by that being the right decision. Yeah. I, I fully do. I, I, there was no, we didn't have the time as a club to afford Kit the development that he needed as a manager to bring us forward. We were getting, we were getting wins. We were getting results. We were getting the odd win here and there in random places. It was there was no consistency, no style, no integrity about the club. Like we didn't know what we were. We didn't have. We were relying on 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 McCormack magic to get us points, and I and I stand by that. And that's what that's what saved us ultimately. I think last season. But I would was, say the performances under Kit uh, before he got sacked were a lot better than they were than they have been. Apart Norwich aside, fair enough. Well, we'll agree to disagree <laughs> on that one, I think, Farrell. Um, so let's uh, finish on uh, a new little uh, feature that I think we're going to be running for a few weeks. Now, all the best ideas start in the pub. Correct. So there is hope for this one. Uh, Farrell, uh, on a napkin paper <laughs> with a pencil, uh, started to draw up a forgotten Fulham eleven uh, in a pre-match uh, pub session. Was that before the QPR game? Uh, probably the, the nicest part of the day. <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought we promised we weren't going to talk about Sorry. it anymore. Some random home game. shakes. <laughs> Um, and the idea of this Forgotten Fulham 11, I'll, I'll let Farrell explain it because I think it was his baby. Uh, I don't know how it started, but I think we just randomly started to- talking about a particular former player. I can't remember who. And there were a few people were like, oh, God, yeah, I forgot about him. And they're like, where did he play? Where did he go? Uh, and that kind of stuff. And then we sort of decided to build a team of for, forgotten Fulham players. The, the ones that, you know, only played a handful of times for the clubs. The ones that some people might remember and other people would go, oh, I don't really remember him. Who did he play? You know, when did he play? Or And other people go, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about him. Well, um, I think we've already mentioned a lot on this show. There's been uh, mentions already for Tony Callio, Ahmed Elric. Um, if you want to see this, uh, we actually have the exact uh, photo evidence of uh, Farrell's napkin. Uh, if you go to at Fulhamish Pod, uh, it is there in all its glory with uh, with his team uh, crossed out because I didn't want to influence uh, anyone on Twitter's thinking. I wanted them to be original and think of their own uh, players uh, who have, and so we're going to start today uh, with the goalkeeper and the defence, and try and pick uh, the back five. And then in future shows going forward, we'll then pick uh, maybe a midfield trio or quartet. That's a decision we've got to make. Yeah. Um, and then do we go with the two up top, or do we go with the do we go with the Christmas tree, the four one three two? There's so many options. But for today, we'll settle on a back five. Yeah. Will we, um, we'll will we get sacked for a bad decision? We could do. Not, not, for, a couple, not for a couple of games. <laughs> <laughs> a, one, a one in ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we've got the back end of the club, it's fine. Um, so, uh, fellas, let's, uh, let's move on to goalkeeper first. There was a few mentions on Twitter. Um, uh, one for Pascal Zubabula. I, I certainly would I have know. him up there. Any other suggestions did he, for did, goalkeeper? Did Zubabula play? No, but he used to come down to the Hammersmith end before every game and clap everyone, and everyone used to clap him back. So. He moved it to goalkeeper coach, didn't he, after he retired? Yeah. yeah. So Good are man. they allowed in if they haven't played at all, Farrell? As rule master in chief? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. So Actually, to... I might, I'm going to check that because I think he might have played a League Cup game. I'm, I, 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 I think he's got, got, got an League Cup yeah, game. Yeah, I've got an inkling he probably played the I League Cup he, game. Did he, he was our second keeper. It wasn't like he was the old, like, down the pecking order. He was on the bench every single game. Yeah, yeah he must he have, have some played, sort of record. A cup tie. Maybe an he, FA Cup tie. He must have come on. Did he play against Spurs in that FA Cup tie? <laughs> Not in that Spurs game, though, none of us can remember apart from you. <laughs> no, that was, oh, a, yeah. that was Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> that mysterious <laughs> that game that only Ben remembers. No, Farrell remembers it. Which one was this? Carl Walker punched the ball off the line. Yeah, I remember it. I am definitely irked by that. My man. Me and Jack got amnesia from that one. No memory. of blank out. It's another one of those blank out. PTSD games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any other goalkeeping mentions for the Forgotten Fulham? Uh, Jan yeah. Lastukva. Oh, oh. Man, him. <laughs> he's still playing. He's up in Scotland. Jan Lastukva. Does yeah. he? Yeah. He played for Hearts for a while. For ages, yes. Um, I've got one. Um, Martin Herrera. Oh, lovely who, Spanish who, accent. Who <laughs> played for uh, Alavesh in the final of the UEFA Super Cup oh, against, against Liverpool. Liverpool, where they lost 5 4. Uh, and then was signed by Premier League outfit Fulham, um, and then he only made two appearances. Um, was one against Spurs, in I the think, FA, in the FA yeah. Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, oh, Walker, off the yeah. line. I think, I think I remember that. Was he, he came on because, was it Mate Taylor got sent off? Yeah. And he had to try and save a penalty from yeah. Teddy Sheringham. I believe so, yeah. Failed. We'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the legendary Argentinians, the other one obviously being Facundo Savar. The man with the mask. Yeah. So who we get? Who are we going in goal? I think it's a cross between Pascal Zubabula and Martin Herrera. Here. Oh, Ross Flitney. Oh, Ross Flitney. That's oh, a legend. Left field <laughs> shout. I don't think Ross Flitney ever played a game, so I think he might be banned. He didn't. He didn't. No. Who who are we selling on here? We need I've, someone needs to take the jersey. Got, There's a sub bench. Don't forget. There is. A I've got. I had Wes Fodderingham in there, who uh, who came through the Fulham Academy, sat on the bench for a while, and then went off to Rangers eventually. And he's been the Rangers goalkeeper since they went down to yes, Division he's... 3 and became back as a fake football club. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's still their goalkeeper. Yeah, and he was beaten by our own old boy, Moussa Dembele, again at the weekend. Lovely finish. Brilliant finish. Gorgeous. Little back heel into the net. Uh, who are we going for? Come on, we need to make a decision here. I'd, l- I'd love to vote for Herrera because it's my... I, Shout, but, you know. I'd go for Herrera as well because he's just that guy that, you know, when we mention it, people generally people will know him, but he only really played like two those games. two games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So uh, 
I'm, I'm, there I'm, is. I'm happy to. I'm, put, I'm, sti- to I'm sticking one. him in, number one. Can we have Forever. Pascal on the bench just because that's where he normally sat anyway? Yeah, was, <laughs> <laughs> he warmed him for so many yeah, seasons. Exactly. He deserves his spot on the bench. The grooves in the yeah, Graven exactly. bench is still there from Pascal Zubabula. <laughs> Uh, I worked out earlier on Twitter that uh, his uh, name is uh, 27 points on a uh, Scrabble board until someone uh, tweeted that you can't have uh, proper nouns on a Scrabble board. So that was a uh, defunct point. There's always one. Always one. Sam Green, wasn't it? Sam, you fun sponge. Right, onto the defence before we finish, and then obviously in future games we'll move uh, further forward. So, uh, any particular nominations? uh, A couple from each of you? For any particular position, Sammy? Any, let's uh, let's kind of neglect positions a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got a right back proposition, uh, Elliot Omazuzi, yeah. who moved from us to Leighton Orient and then was arrested for a gang-related murder of a witness. Did two and a half years in prison. Well, he can be added to our Fulham prisoner level. Yeah, he's uh, a... which includes uh, Ahmed Elric, amongst others, and John Pansil. And John Pansil. <laughs> so we're building a lot of squads here. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I'd like to nominate him because I think well, that's a that's a phenomenal one. Um, I think my first nomination um, is going to be uh, uh, Grigera um, Zdenek. I think is his oh, first yeah. name. Who came to us uh, on a free from Juventus under Yol, and was an absolute. For me, a very, very solid, dependable right back. Not the fastest, um, but managed to get up and down the wing a lot. Um, it's a good source of creativity, liked a good cross, and um, has the probably the loudest knee snap oh, it was horrible. recorded in history. Um, was, I was it against, in, wasn't it against Spurs as well? No. I was sat probably halfway up the hammy end, um, and I heard his knee... Ligament snap, um, and he went out for the season. Came back and tried to, tried to uh, come back and play for us um, for a couple of seasons, uh, featuring in under twenty one squads as well, I believe. Um, unfortunately, never made it back. But he was some yeah. quality that we we could have had. Um, unfortunately, another nomination who Jack has on his list, Stan Manilev, took his place. <laughs> he was terrible. <laughs> Let's not have him in, please. Well, someone else that I was uh, always like to think of in a forgotten eleven, although not so forgotten, because I know a lot of people rave about him, and uh, his Fulham career really cuts short by injury, uh, Mr. Jero- Monsieur Jerome Bonacel, mm. who was a fantastic left-back. Yeah, Brilliant. Could bomb up the wing. He had... T- um, Bundles of energy. He didn't stop all game. I remember. I think it was the 0304 season. He came into the side under Coleman and um, was absolutely terrific. And uh, injuries, unfortunately, a bit like Zinedine Grigera, cut him short. So uh, I'll put him forward for nomination. Please. He came from Rangers as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Also, wasn't he when he got injured? Isn't that the, the terrible season where we tried to play Carlos Bocanegra at left back and he was the least left back man I've ever... He literally was put there because he had a left foot. It's like a lot of Sunday league teams but, as well. But, but like, Bocanegra was, was an excellent centre-half, like a, like a really good centre-half and they tried to play him at left back and it was all a bit bizarre. Really. I think one season he finished our second top goal scorer, Bocanegra. He, he loved goals. <laughs> he loved them. Um, so yeah, fair enough. Uh, Farrell, who are we uh, nominating from you, please? Uh, I've got Nathan Ashton, uh, who played one game uh, under Laurie Sanchez. He was brought in by Lou Reed. Uh, was it Lou Reed? Les Reed. Les Reed. Lou, Lou Reed's, 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 a, Lou Reed's a singer. Day, <laughs> <laughs> Les Reed, who went on to manage Charlton. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think he actually came from Charlton to, mm. to us and brought Nathan Ashton with him, played for one game, and then we qu- quickly shipped him off because he was... Well, dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, what happens when you give Lou Reed uh, power over transfers, the, yeah. uh, the 70s singer. <laughs> I thought there was hope for me to be to become a pro footballer from that because I think he's one of the very few footballers who's even shorter than I am. So I thought, well, maybe there's a chance for me. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you at the time when he was a transfer? Uh, oh, I don't know, actually. Maybe 20? Oh, there's still hope. <laughs> Vardy was playing in the lo- in the non-league thing at 20. Yeah, he's got his own book now as well. And a feature film uh, soon to be uh, soon to be released. Well, like in the Champions League, they're going to make a sequel as well. <laughs> it's going to be goal and goal too. <laughs> it's just be like the in-betweeners, but with some five-a-side putting. It's going to be Salford City Reds all over again. Oh God! I'm going to I'm going to eliminate Nicky Shorey, 
who oh, yeah. everyone actually forgets played for Fulham because he just wasn't very good. He also wore the seven shirt, which has become slightly cursed with our defenders as they seem to get injured every time they wear the seven. Fredericks and Rossinia being two recipients of that cursed seven as a defender shirt. Afro I watched uh, one of, I think it was like the fantasy football program on Sky Sports and they had Steve Sidwell on it and they do a feature where they name the best 11 they've ever played with. And bearing in mind, Steve Sidwell used to play for Chelsea for a bit, nominated Nicky Shorey as his left back. <laughs> and I've never seen such disbelief on Paul Merson's face because <laughs> he was just like, cross that out and put that Ashley Cole there. What, what are you doing? And he's like, no, Nicky Shorey, great footballer. He's great, Good great. Night, yeah. yeah, yeah, really like him. And you. Paul Merson was like, give me the pen. I'm going to write, I'm gonna write <laughs> Ashley Cole there for you. <laughs> yeah, so Nicky Shorey played for Fulham. So. On loan from Reading? Was he at the time? You know what? Permanent. I, I think it was a permanent, and I think he made about four appearances. So, and I'd I'd completely forgotten that Nicky Shorey played for Fulham, and I was looking at the history of the number seven shirt in Fulham Football Club the other day, uh, because I have too I'm much not. time. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's po- he popped up. So that was a that was that's my there's another nomination. Okay, so we're um, we're racking through the defenders, Ben. My my second nomination is going to be everyone's second favourite Fulham Canadian, Paul Stalteri. <laughs> who we had, who we had on, lo- uh, we had on loan from Spurs uh, for half a season, um, I believe. Uh, he only made a few appearances for us, um, but yeah, I'd like to nominate him. Quite sort of dependable. I think he actually scored for us quite an important goal once. Didn't he play through quite a significant part of the Great Escape? I seem to remember maybe even playing in that final Portsmouth. Yeah, he probably yeah. would have done. I mean, he played pretty much every game leading up to the. Yeah, I do remember playing against Liverpool as well. I'm sure Thomas Rodzinski would take offence to you saying that he he was not everyone's second favourite Fulham Canadian. <laughs> and what about Paul Pesca Salida? I was going as that as a given for first. <laughs> <laughs> we actually last week said, uh, um, talking about Canadians playing for Fulham, oh, yeah, and we'd yeah, completely yeah. forgotten about Paul Stalteri. So yeah, uh, yeah. sorry, Paul, sorry, if you're Paul. a regular He's listener. He's my second favourite Canadian <sighs> after Radzi. Uh, have you got any more suggestions uh, for the defence, Farrell? I've got... Gab- I sound like a... Um, a like I'm a judge here. Any more case for the defence? Uh, no. Uh, I've got uh, Gabriel Zakuani. Classic. Um, who played twice for Fulham uh, after he impressed, in inverted commas, in an FA Cup game against Peterborough. So I think Chris Coleman signed him for over a million pounds. Oh, no. And that was a waste of money. Sorry, Gabrielle, but it obviously didn't work out. He still plays Fulham. for Peterborough or North, no, Northampton. Now. Northampton, yeah. Now. And DR Congo still. What a player. See, maybe we should have kept him. Yeah. There's Adrian Leisure, is it? I don't know how to pronounce it particularly as well, who was touted as Breda Hangelin's successor. And Billy McKinley, who I actually had on my list, but I'm not going to nominate today, <laughs> um, who was signed when he was 36, became the reserve team manager. And he basically kept saying, that Adrian Leisure was going to become the the next big thing in English football. Australian, yeah, an Australian, yeah. and he he went out to loan on loan to Norwich for a while, and then basically Norwich didn't want him and he didn't play, so we sent him off back to Melbourne Victory, where he's remained ever since. He came with a very big reputation. Yeah, I, major, major. I recall that. Uh, Greg Craig Waite on Twitter has come in with some uh, suggestions. Uh, Adam Green. Yeah, oh yeah, Adam. yeah. Uh, he's mentioned Tony Callio, although you know us and Tony are like that. You know Tony uh, follows. Uh, Fulhamish Pod on Twitter. Big, big, fan, big fan of the pod, podcast. Now, Adam Green was the Young Player of the Year in 2002. As in Fulham Young Player Fulham of the Year? Young I was going to say, crikey, didn't make it like... <laughs> a PFA <laughs> yeah. PFA, yeah. Uh, yeah also, uh, Dean Leacock. Uh, I, I was looking at Dean Leacock earlier and I found three links to three an art- articles on like BBC website saying he was going to be the next Rio Ferdinand. Goodness. I should call those people out. He played for Marseille once, I think. Yeah, Peacock, yeah. He can also slot in a right back if we're short of position. Well, someone else that can slot in it. Sorry, someone else that can slot in at right back. Uh, Robert Land uh, said is Freddie Store. Yeah, yeah, Swedish international, wasn't he? Yeah, played under Roy Hodgson, but didn't get uh, too many games at all. I couldn't get above uh, Stephen Kelly uh, in the uh, in the pecking order. That must be so bad for your confidence <laughs> <laughs> as a footballer. Yeah, God, good looking though. Yeah, well, I think some I think some worthy suggestions. I feel like uh, can we make a final decision on the on the back four today, or do we need some time to mull it over? So, how many right backs have we got? We got we got <laughs> Krugera as a right back. Still, Terry's left. Sure, he's a left back. Sure, he's a left back. Store's a right back. Well, Store's uh, all across the back back four. Store at centre back. 
Uh, there was Omazusi was there. Um, Kristen Val, although I, I don't know. Kristen Val's go definitely a, got going in. Did I say he was also a hero? <laughs> did we even mention Kristen Val? No. I don't know where I came no. up with Kristen Val from. Kristen Val, I saw a last minute equaliser against West Ham. Oh, it was, was a glorious that, game. That was beautiful. Philippe Krisnenval was a top quality player. He was he came, so calm and assured from Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> he was so calm and assured on the ball, and he had Zat Knight next to him, and he made Zat Knight look unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a skill. Uh, Adrian Leisure uh, was uh, another one of us. Jerome Bonacell. Well, I feel like Jerome no, Bonacell is... I don't is... think he's forgotten. No, too I well think, known. I think many people haven't forgotten. That is the I'd point. Go, I'd go Omatsuzi. Yeah. Ashton at left back. And then what are the centre backs? Dean Leacock? Zakuani. Leacock and Zakuani. Omazuzi and who do we say left back? Ashton. Ashton. Right, there we are. There we go. Jack's decided. There we are. No mention for Shorey. I like Shorey. I like Shorey as well. He can go on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. Can Gregera go on the bench as well? Yeah, why not? Well, you need two on the bench. Right, here we go. (laughs) Gregera and Shorey on the bench. And then we've got Ashton, Leacock, Zakuani. Zakuani and Omazuzi. Omazuzi. It's not an easy pronounce, <laughs> pronunciation of that. <laughs> back four. Easy you've, for you to say, Sam. I know, you're really <laughs> testing my uh, pronunciation today. Okay, well, there we go. There's a back five sorted there. Martin Herrera, uh, Elliot Omazuzi, Gabriel Zakuani, Dean Leacock, and Nathan Ashton. I think that is a, um, well, I was about to say solid back five but <laughs> yeah. I think anything but yeah, exactly. a solid back five but certainly a good start to our forgotten Fulham 11 uh, and we will be carrying that on uh, in the weeks to come basically when I haven't got enough uh, no I'm not going to say that <laughs> <laughs> basically when we all find out we hate each other yeah, yeah. exactly when we've all, it's a good uh, way to bring the morale back yeah. <laughs> Uh, chaps, thank you very much uh, for being on this evening's podcast. Another good one uh, once again. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Mate. Thank you. Uh, in the pipeline is a Fulhamish website, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and we're looking for writers uh, for the website. So uh, if you'd be interested in writing some previews or reviews or articles, features, specials, anything you want to write about, as long as it has got something vaguely uh, to do with Fulham Football Club, uh, then get in touch. Our Twitter is at Pod. Uh, we'd really like to get lots of articles up there and it would be great for you to be involved. So uh, if you want to do that, hit us up on Twitter and don't forget to uh, like the Facebook page and you can get us on Twitter as well and leave us a review on iTunes. We've had so many nice ones already. don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's been uh, lovely uh, for you guys to give your positive feedback on this podcast. We Thanks will... to whoever shouted me out on iTunes. I was having a great time. Oh, really? Yeah, there we Famous, are. Famous, mate. Famous. You're going to be recognised yeah, around the Hammersmith end in absolutely no time. That is the dream. By voice only. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that guy sounds good. <laughs> we shall be back next week after the Huddersfield game, hopefully talking about three points, but you never know.